Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton. Transform and roll out. Max at Mondo Neon. I'm here today with Matt Hookie. Uh, really excited to have and pleased to talk uh, with this artist. He's putting together an extraordinary collection of Seattle Neon photography, something that's near and dear to, to my heart. Uh, I generally like uh, the topic of talking about different cities and, and places and locations and things like that. Um, but pretty extensive in terms of the effort that he's putting together. He's uh, got a book um, that he's promoting, not quite uh, available yet because it's, uh, we'll talk more about that, but thanks for coming on the show, Matt. Thank you. Good to be here. So there's uh, you know, a lot going on. Um, obviously, one of the things that uh, I was approached with was this Kickstarter that's happening in uh, Seattle. We have a lot of different Seattle artists on, actually, believe it or not, different people involved in different capacities uh, with Neon. Um, and it just seems like a really amazing uh, backdrop and, and a place that I think a lot of people um, have heard about or experienced. So from a, from a pictorial level, I guess my first question would be, you know, how did you, you know, what are, what are the, you know, as you, as you develop this, this project of yours, was there ever a moment in time where kind of like you, you got struck by photography or, or um, what was the process actually like working to kind of get this up and running? Well, I was asked to do this three years ago by my publisher, Sharon Woodhouse, who has also created a book about Chicago neon signs, which is what inspired us to repeat the project here. I'm from Chicago originally. I've been in Seattle for about seven years. And when I first came here, I was more concerned with a natural environment, the uh, national parks that surround the city. We've got three of them, the volcanoes, the sea. Uh, there's just so much nature around here. And that's what I was exploring my first few years. And then when I started, heard about the neon opportunity, thought this is my chance to explore the city. I can go into all of these neighborhoods and really get a feel for the history of the city and how all these various businesses that have the neon sign have shaped the history of the city over the years. And that's just something that's always appealed to me, this sort of hyper-local history. And just to be able to, to look at something, say a neon sign or a monument of some kind and, and know that it's been there for decades and then think, how can I preserve this? How can I make it available to a lot more people that might never get a chance to see it in person? Definitely. And then, you know, what's unique about that approach, I think for a lot of people is we sort of hit this milestone in, in, in Neon, I think, where the platform, especially with things like Facebook, and, and I point out a lot of in the show, I do talk a lot about social media because I do think it's sort of the common place now for, for Neon conversations to happen is that you now have multiple photographers, multiple books coming out. Um, one of the biggest challenges I think for people with Neon is just sort of wrap their head about, you know, where did all this stuff come from and what exactly still exists? And I think uh, a lot of the challenges that come with, you know, photographing Neon is just sort of the innate ability of course, like, do you do it during the day? Do you do it in the night? You know, which particular signs are you going after? But I mean, you're, you're tackling a pretty heavy topic, obviously, and it, I think there's like over 400 images. Is there, what are some of the biggest challenges, I guess, in, in sort of the, what, you're, what you're tackling? Was it because you said that you kind of had a more approach early on with the project? Um, were, were there big changes with using Kickstarter that you've seen? And maybe, you know, like I said, compiling all this together is it, it, I guess what would be the, um, you know, kind of the talking point, putting those two things together? 
Well, the big challenge is that we're losing so much of our history that uh, so many of these signs have disappeared in the last few years. Even the relatively short amount of time I've been doing this project, we've lost several along the way. So what I was trying to do is just figure out the locations of all of these neons and then you know, make these, um, make these excursions, these plans for excursions. And then I get there and I found out that it might be gone. And so this is not really shaping up exactly as I wanted it to because we've lost so many of these historic sites in the last few years that I've had to make these adjustments over time because I just couldn't get all the photos that I wanted because it's simply not there anymore. Yeah, and it, or do some stand out for you? Are there like one in particular that you kind of had, you know, you're like, look, I got to let this thing go or, or clearly like I just wasn't there and right, you know, in the right, right amount of time to make this happen. Let me just move on. Um, right. Any, any stand out for you at all? I know you've taken a lot of photos. You've got a kind of a Flickr following and Facebook and all sorts of things. Um, it was one of the various first, one of the very first signs that I set out to photograph. And I'd seen it from a bus from a distance before, but didn't have any pictures. It's a uh, Bardal oil. It's an additive for, uh, for engine performance. And they had this amazing rooftop animated neon sign going back to the fifties. And it says, add Bardal oil, add it to your gas, add it to your oil. And there'd be car headlights driving towards you. It's just an amazing piece of work. And it stopped working just a few months before I started the project. Wow. And I went there, I went there at night. Uh, it was like the second sign I tried to photograph and I took a taxi there at night only to find it completely dark. And uh, I got some pictures of it then in the dark. I came back later several times. It was always dark. I contacted the office and the cost of repairing it is astronomical. That's, so yeah. that was, yeah. th that's something that I, I had hoped to be really one of my showcase pieces. It's one of the best in the city. And, and as like the second or third site I went to see, I was disappointed in it. And so I started thinking, this is, this is altering the way I got to do this. These sites are disappearing at this, this ferocious rate that um, I've got to struggle to get all the best neon before it's gone. I really, yeah. And I mean, there are still, you know, and what's unique about, I think, Seattle, and even though, you know, it is a very relatively cold climate, I think maybe the weather's been kind, or maybe people are very much, you know, patrons of, the, of these places, but you know, one a classic sign, I think, is like, the, you know, the Dick's, the hamburger sandwich shop, you know, which is, a, is, is a, it's just one of the most amazing kind of, you got two sides of neon, uh, you know, three actually, and you've got this kind of storefront, very um, kind of 50s, 40s-esque walk up to the window sort of atmosphere. Um, there's still so much that's, you know, so much potential, you know, especially with the elephant car sign. I think they featured that on the latest neon uh, convention that they they had up there you know just some of the design elements that happened with some of these signs um, we can now trace some of this stuff back to historical records and I think with the work of a lot of historians and a lot of photographers like yourself we're going to be able to you know let's say 20 years from now go back and look at a lot of these signs whereas I think you know this whole movement this whole um, you know I think the following that we have now with neon is a little bit different. We understand that there's, there is sort of an expectation that these signs are not going to be around forever. So we're now planning uh, ways to either save them or document them. And projects like this are really important to, to really help preserve what's left of, of some of these iconic signs. Is there, were you allowed to, you know, with your being a photographer and, you know, understanding uh, how to put together images, um, you know, I guess the question of, you know, what becomes important, you know, how do you make that decision? Are there ones that you're like, oh, no, this is just, 
not eligible for the book, um, you know, because there are so many, are you planning on doing one photo per, per page? Like what, what exactly, how did that decision process go into how the, the books actually put together? Cause it's pretty ambitious. I've uh, identified about a thousand neon signs throughout the city and included less than, than half of them in the book. So yeah, there's, there's just so much here and I had to be selective about that. So what I try to do is include that, which is historic or beautiful. Uh, but even you know, some of the ordinary ones that people might not think are a work of art, that's something that's that's a piece of local history. That's something that people in the neighborhood have had looming over them their entire lives. It's a familiar landmark and it might be gone because some of these places are going out of business now. So preserving the history of that has been really important to me. And just being able to, to create something that's gonna be still there in 20 or 30 years when some of these signs are gone, I think that's really an important piece of work there to be able to preserve these photographs and to be able to show this is what the city looked like at this point in time and for several decades prior to that. Absolutely, and the, the kinds of projects too that have been most popular recently, especially on Instagram, are these books, I think. You know, we also talk about video too, which is great, but you know, are you seeing any changes in what kinds of, of neon, you know, stays up versus what goes down in the pandemic? There's been a lot of movement in that process. You know, did you, you know, prior to like what happened during lockdown, has it made things easier for you during this process? You know, the, um, the neon that survives, it's really just tied to the fate of the business. And especially during the pandemic, we lost so many of our classic businesses. And then other factors in the city are driving some of these businesses away, so their neon goes away. The Elephant Car Wash, which you mentioned earlier, was disassembled a few months ago, and it's now being refurbished and put into a museum. So what's surviving is just kind of you know, the luck of the draw, which businesses are managing to stay afloat during these tough times. Uh, some of the historic ones, uh, you know, I'm thinking like Blue Moon Tavern, uh, Wonder Bread. I mean, there are people who are actively preserving these, and those are going to be around for a long time. But there's so many ordinary pieces of neon just for your local neighborhood bar, uh, a restaurant, a movie theater, you know, not a not a theater that's got a lot of community support, but just, you know, the kind of local neighborhood theaters that have been shutting down for so many years. That's just disappearing so rapidly now, just because there's no money to keep it afloat. And, you know, the land value is so much that they always want to build something new on the spot. And um, I was going to say, Seattle is not sort of the place where, I mean, we, <laughs> we imagine being additional land and mountains and all this pretty scenery. You know, when I was there, we kind of clearly see the sort of the division between the haves and the have nots. Right. And, and good for, you know, good, good for the city to help preserve a lot of the natural beauty of what's around it. I don't want to this is in no way bad mouthing Seattle because you know, each city has its own issues, but, you know, clearly there's sort of, like I said, that the idea of having additional space is really just not, it is not realistic, you know, and I do know there's a, a certain limit to what you can and can't take with you, right? Especially when these businesses go out of, uh, out of fashion, but there are, what I, what I want to promote on this show and specifically these signs, if anybody's listening and they have a neon sign or their family had one, or they know someone who has a business, who's going to throw it away is to contact your local museums and the local organizations that are in the, I mean, we have multiple sign museums. It's not like it was before where we just kind of had to guess and, and hopefully someone will answer our ad and they'll come and pick it up and, and won't be thrown to the scraps. I mean, there's, there's whole movements that are supporting this cause and, uh, you know, we'll put, you know, the, the idea is that you're going to help save a sign. It's not just historical, but it's also meaningful. It doesn't necessarily fill up a landfill. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to do something like this. 
Um, but I do want to promote that as an alternative to anyone who's listening. If there's something that you want saved, um, contact some of these uh, institutions and allow them the ability to at least acknowledge that, hey, if there's a possibility that you can bring this sign into a, a private collection, great, but, you know, th this, this will still be, um, you know, viewable to the general public in some way, shape, or fashion, right? As opposed to, wow, we don't know what happened to it. It's, it's likely gone, you know, that sort of thing. We're lucky in Seattle that we have a museum that's interested in preserving the neon. The Museum of History and Industry uh, it has the original Rainier Beer R from on top of the brewery. This was a rotating R with neon and incandescent bulbs that was you know, about 100 feet off the ground on top of the brewery for something like 60 years uh, before the brewery shut down, sold that location, and then the neon went into a museum. Uh, it's also got several other pieces. It's got some, uh, some of the motels along Aurora Avenue. That's where all the original motels were. That was the main road out of town in the 40s and 50s. And you had these elaborate motel signs, but the motels then fell into disrepair. They got kind of seedy. They got their neon ripped out because they wanted just to change their name and associate themselves with their past. The museum has inherited several of those as well. And they're not putting everything on display, but at least they're keeping them well-maintained and in storage. So we've got the hope that they can show them in the future. And then we've also got several collectors, several businessmen who own a large number of properties around here who happen to be neon enthusiasts. And they're buying some of these neon from defunct businesses and refurbishing, refurbishing them and putting them in their own businesses. There are several pieces that are now hanging inside bars that are not even on the same side of the city as where the neon originated from, but it's where there'll be an appreciative audience and where people are going to come to see this. And, you know, they might not know the history of the piece, but they'll get, a, they'll get an appreciation for it, seeing it on the wall there. Yeah, we're at a point, and I think, in, especially in culture, what I'm most proud of is the work that we promoted on the podcast and really the help, you know, kind of uh, arrange this is sort of a timeline. You know, a lot of these projects, they sort of are misunderstood and, and a lot of energy is sort of misguided in the sense that, you know, people don't necessarily, you know, see it as, um, you know, a one-off. They look at it as sort of a mass-produced object, which is really a, a poor way of thinking, you know, because obviously we know better now than we used to, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a culture, as a group, you know, we, we like to retain some of the understanding that, yeah, there, there are pieces that are far gone, right? The ones that are completely rusted out, the ones that aren't, you know, can't move unless they fall apart and need some sort of zoning or restriction you know added to it i understand there's a cost involved but what's unique about i think seattle or at least some of the cities is that there's a major reinvention you know happening people aren't just uh taking you know things for granted which is great because um you know it's a unique operation you know bringing on a neon sign it isn't necessarily what everyone wants to do it's you know costly it takes a little bit of time some effort to put it in there um, but it's, it, it clearly, you know, is important to any, to any brand, to any kind of focus is the attention that they, they, they deliver. And, right. uh, you know, you're not necessarily, um, you know, having to reinvent the wheel. It, it's difficult enough to want to produce a neon sign, but, um, you know, if you can bring that unique, uh, stretch, you know, that go the extra mile to kind of think about, okay, how could we incorporate this into the business rather than completely scrap it all together? I think that that's kind of what's unique. Um, and I think that inspiration, or at least that, the heart of that is, is definitely in Seattle. I definitely remember visiting and traveling in the different spaces and different territories that I was in. And I remember referencing multiple places, but there was definitely like a, a back and forth between new and old. And that was what was unique to me was that um, it still felt inspiring. It, it definitely the soul of it was still there, um, you know, especially when it comes to different places. And I'm sure everyone has their own opinion, but, um, you know, do you think that, you know, with the work of the book, 
um, you know, more of these projects are going to come forward, you know, especially with Neon becoming a little bit, you know, uh, more well-known, I think, in terms of the project. Do you find anything interesting to you when you take photos and you kind of share this with people? What's, I guess, what's the reaction that you see? I see that people are not really appreciative of the history that's all around them, and they'll just walk past the neon or any other work of art and not really notice it because they just think that's just another business. And I'm not interested in this bar, this restaurant, this newspaper right now. I'm going to ignore it. But then when it's when it's presented as a photo, though, they can they can focus on it as art. It's not just visual clutter, but it's something that they're seeking out in order to look at. And they can appreciate the um, the work that's involved, the intricacy of this glass, the various colors of the light and how that projects onto everything around them. And so I think that, that a book like this is going to uh, just sort of help engender more of that feeling, make people recognize this as something that's a piece of art, something that's been handcrafted and a piece of history that might've been there for 50 or 70 years, rather than just another thing on the street that they pass by without noticing every day. And, and yeah, looking back, I mean, do you, um, with the, the Kickstarter, uh, I want people to really kind of focus in on that a little bit, sure. the direct tie between the book and the launch, what's going on. Um, have you, are, in terms of alternative ways to support the book, I do want to make mention that obviously you do promote the book and, and you, you can, you know, donate and then it goes to the functioning of the book. Um, anyway, it's not understanding Kickstarter. Can you let them know a little bit about how this works just so they know? Sure. Uh, we have a page on kickstarter.com, a crowdfunding site that lets you contribute towards projects. You can, um, you can pledge however much you want, and then only when the project reaches its funding goal, which is 15000 for us, only then do these pledges uh, actually take place. So that's when your credit card would be charged. You can buy a single book. That's $30 for a single copy. Uh, and this is a large book. This is um, you know, 450 photos, uh, text accompanying everything. Uh, it's going to be eight and a half by 11. So this is like a coffee table size book. Uh, you can buy $30 for, a, you can pay $30 for a single copy for yourself. If you're running a shop, like maybe a souvenir shop, you could buy multiple copies, uh, 10 copies, 25. We've got various packages and the pricing gets better as you buy the larger packages. So the, there's a lot of uh, upfront cost involved in this. The writing and the photography is already done, but we're doing editing right now. We have to do layout next. Uh, we then have to do the cover design, the internal design, marketing, distribution, printing, et cetera. So that's what this Kickstarter is all about, is just trying to get these miscellaneous costs covered. Everything that's involved with physically producing the book, aside from the stuff that I do at home or on my camera, everything after that, we need to raise some money for that. And we're hoping to do that by selling these copies in advance. Anybody that can't leverage any kind of money, obviously we, we do ask that, um, you know, you can share the link too, which is a great way to do it, right? So I always ask people like, or what can you do? They're always like, oh, I don't, you know, it's tough times, it's pandemic times. And, and uh, you know, if you're not looking for ways to, to bring money to the table, you can also um, share the link, which we'll put on the show notes. And the plan is to obviously get people to obviously fund the project, but um, if you could just share it with with another sort of social media uh, you know, outlet, um, that always helps too. And it helps the creators um, promote their project that way um, to help find additional backers, uh, which are, you know, find this project interesting. So it could change the way, um, you know, the algorithm plays itself out. Uh, and that would be a good thing <laughs> for Neon and for, uh, for this project. Um, uh, yeah, well, I, I obviously I'd ask what was future about your work and what's going on. Um, 
uh, what, what, I know you have new projects as a, as a, as an artist and as a bookmaker here, do you find that there are things coming up that you want to mention real quick before we, uh, wrap things up? Well, right now I'm just uh, concentrating on getting this book out and, um, just trying to promote it. After that, I don't know what my next project would be. It might not be neon. Uh, it might be something else. Uh, but I'm, I'm in the city. I live fairly close to downtown, so I would have to get out a bit to try to do the suburbs. There's a lot more neon in Western Washington. There's a lot of other cities, uh, Bellingham, Tacoma, Fife, uh, North Bend. There's some amazing neon in all of these places. And maybe that would be a project for a future year is to try to get to some of these other cities around Seattle and see their neon and photograph that. And, and then also research the history of these places that have it. Uh, I try to do some writing about all of the businesses, all of the entrepreneurs, the characters involved in creating, uh, creating the sign and getting it to us and preserving it and keeping that alive all these times. Uh, that's what I would try to focus on is to do the same thing, but on a, on a wider scale, a physically uh, more geographically dispersed scale. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Um, I, I think very from beginning to finish here, I think a lot of listeners are familiar with what it's like to, to make a, a project, whether it's going to be just for, you know, professionally or, or you know, a, a personal project, um, you know, enabling artists to, to do the type of work that they, they like to put out there. I think that the, the Kickstarter model is really a great way to, to set the tone, um, you know, and sort of, uh, you know, put your message out there. And uh, I think that the, the Neon Project is a, especially in Seattle, um, is obviously a, a, a huge, um, you know, landmark um, for anybody who's, who's in love with Neon. It's definitely a space that uh, is valuable. Um, and, and I really do think it's a, a special dynamic that's, that's um, really delivers, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, there's a lot of big innovation that happened uh, in the city and um, you know Matt I really thank you for being on the show uh, and, and think this is a great uh, a great project and want to um, just mention that so thanks again thank you good to be here hey guys hope you enjoyed that show if you haven't done so please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice we have a lot of great neon guests coming up and as always thanks for listening